You're listening to Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Now, here's your host, Christopher Linfont. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ravens flock, my name is Christopher Linfont bringing you another edition of the Nest Talk podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the entire internet. But you already know that. That is why you are here, of course. Uh, this is Nest Talk episode 37 being recorded on Monday, July 29th, 2019. And you might be wondering why Why a Monday? Why am I recording this on a Monday afternoon? And the reason simply is because yesterday I had the privilege to go down to Ravens training camp and learn a thing or two about the Baltimore Ravens. So I wanted to make sure that this episode of Nest Talk would cover that if I hosted it this weekend on Friday or something. We'd have to wait a whole week for me to talk about what I learned yesterday. It didn't really make sense to me, so I moved it to Monday. If you were following on Twitter, at Nest Talk or at Be More Feather, uh, you would have known right away that this was being moved to Monday. And if you didn't, well, you might want to go follow me there. Um, helps us out and, of course, brings you all the latest news about the podcast and, of course, all the Ravens news along the way. Um, so with that... We're going to jump into the news first, as we always do, but we do have a lot of observations I want to talk about. That'll take up most of the show, but there are quite a few pieces of news we do have to talk about, uh, and that's really because um, when you get into the thick of training camp, training camp, I think only four or five practices have happened so far, but once you start getting into training camp, into the preseason, you have a lot more news than you did maybe two weeks ago when nothing was going on in the dead zone of the NFL summer. Um, so without any further ado, we're going to jump right into the news. And the first news story that I have to talk about is the biggest story, uh, with the Baltimore Ravens so far. And that is the situation regarding Robert Griffin, the third, Robert Griffin, the third into a accident on the field. Not great for him. His history of injuries obviously is a problem for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, but looking at his injury, he sustained on the field. It's not so bad. It could be a lot worse for RG three and the Baltimore Ravens. Um, you might be asking yourself, uh, what happened to RG3? You might be asking me, you know, what happened to RG3? Chris, can you tell us what happened to RG3? Well, you know, if you're not following the Ravens, uh, on Twitter, if you're not really into this offseason whole setup here, all the news cycle, uh, not watching ESPN religiously, maybe, you don't know what happened to RG3. So, I'll give you the scoop. RG3 got injured in the Ravens open practice on Saturday night. I believe that was the 27th, 28th. 26, something like that. He got injured in the Ravens open practice. Now, what happened was the quarterbacks wear the black jersey in these practices in training camp not to be touched. And, of course, you know, stuff happens. The quarterbacks get touched. And RG3, who I love RG3. RG3 is a great guy, a great player. But he's made of peanut brittle. We know this. He's made of peanut brittle. We shouldn't touch RG3, especially in training camp. Okay. And somebody touched RG3. Somebody hit RG3. It, granted, it wasn't on purpose. What happened was, they were running a play, I believe it was in the red zone, um, and RG3 took the snap, play went fine, and Tim Williams was practicing his rush, and he didn't actually hit RG3. RG3, his hand smashed into, I don't remember if he was throwing, going over his throwing motion or what, but his hand smashed into Tim Williams' helmet on that pass rush play, on that practice play. It smashed into Tim Williams' hand. And immediately, if you watch the video, it's circulating on Twitter. I forget who tweeted it out. 
one of uh, the Fantastic Ravens um, film analysts on Twitter, I forget his name, um, tweeted out he was in the stands, he got the video. Basically, you immediately see RG3 go for his hand, and he's you can tell he hit it hard, uh, and he comes off the field right away. So, boom, right there, RG3 gets injured, goes in for an x-ray, he comes out of the x-ray to the sideline, what do you know? He's crying on the sideline, very emotional with his wife sitting next to him. The entirety of Ravens Twitter starts freaking out. No one knows exactly what's going on. You know, obviously Lamar Jackson needs a good backup quarterback. Trace McSorley isn't there yet. We'll talk about him later. Um, and RG3 is the perfect backup for this offense. Now you've got a situation where RG3 could could be out for a while. He, he goes on to the press conference, basically says... He, he's very emotional in the press conference, basically says the team will let him them know what exactly happened to him. John Harbaugh comes out and says, Ravens fans should say a prayer for RG3. So everybody's freaking out at this point. Like, what is going on with RG3? Is his career over? Like, did he just, like, break his entire hand? Look, I don't actually know why he was very dramatic about it. Maybe he just didn't know what the results were. Maybe he was waiting for the results. I don't know. But it's a hairline fracture in his thumb. Fracture sounds bad. I get it. It's a four to eight week injury. It is. It is his throwing. It is his throwing hand. Okay, but it's a four to eight week injury. The hope is he'll be back by week one. This is not career ending. This is not season ending for RG three, and he's not really in danger of of leaving this roster. So, number one, right there, off the bat, he's gonna be okay. That's that's the most important thing. RG three is gonna be okay. Second most important thing is RG three will be on this team. Heading into week one, he might not play right away, but he'll be on this team. So, what does this mean for the Ravens? Obviously, they need to bring in a quarterback, and they actually did that today. Um, they signed Joe Callahan, the former uh, Green Bay Packers undrafted quarterback in 2016, played for them throughout 2017. Uh, I think it was on the Eagles for a little bit last offseason. Callahan will be the camp arm. He doesn't have a real shot at making this team. He is looking for a position on a practice squad or another team's roster at this point. So Joe Callahan will take this opportunity and run with it, um, basically to get as many reps as possible and prove his worth as an NFL quarterback. What this also means, though, is that Trace McSorley is going to have to take a big step this preseason. Trace McSorley, I went to practice yesterday. I won't, don't want to talk about him too much because I want to talk about that in a whole other section. But Trace McSorley didn't look very good at all in practice. Um, now maybe that's because... This is the fourth. It was the four, third or fourth practice. Uh, the ball is significantly bigger in the NFL. He's still not used to the tempo. Getting you know used to everything about the NFL might be a problem. And look, you saw Lamar Jackson struggle tremendously, tremendously last year in the preseason, in training camp. Everything about Lamar Jackson, in all honesty, as a thrower in last year's preseason up until the last game, was terrible. Lamar looked awful, god awful in every game he played in the preseason. So I'm not super concerned about Trace McSorley and his development long term, but he does have to take a step now because with RG3 out, RG3 might not come back till week two or week three. That's a distinct possibility. The Ravens are not going to carry four quarterbacks on the roster and they're not going to have four guys. They rarely ever have three. So when you're looking at Trace McSorley, obviously he has to prove his worth as a Taysom Hill-type player, an all-around Swiss Army knife you could use on special teams, offense, defense, you name it. Trace McSorley has to be that player. But he's also now 
got to be ready to be a backup quarterback immediately coming out of the gate this year. He's got to be a backup quarterback to Lamar Jackson because there's no guarantee RG3 will be back for week one, week two. He might even be out week three. We might not see him come back to week four if this thing lingers on. So Trace McSorley has got to do something good this preseason. Um, you know, the Ravens need him to because they're in a weird situation now where if they don't, if they enter the 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 regular season without a viable backup, if they don't see Trace McSorley as a real quarterback, what are they going to, they're just going to bank on Lamar Jackson not getting injured. And then with the way Lamar Jackson plays, you got to forbid he gets injured, but the dude takes a lot more hits than maybe Joe Flacco did. Obviously more than Joe Flacco did, right? So you're going to have to find a guy who could come in and relieve Lamar Jackson, right? Because you saw what happened to Joe Flacco over the years. He started getting injured over and over again, and he didn't take a lot of hits. Lamar Jackson takes way more hits than, than Joe Flacco ever did and ever will in his career. That's just the type of player he is. He runs around, he gets hit. So Trace McSorley has got to be the quarterback for this team, the backup quarterback for this team, heading into week one, regardless of where RG3 is. Because if RG3 is not ready, then the Ravens need somebody to be ready. And Trace McSorley's got to be it. Because it's not going to be Joe Callahan. Joe Callahan is a camp arm looking for another team or a practice squad to save his career at this point because he did not enter this offseason on, on a squad. He got lucky that someone picked him up, in all honesty. Um, so we'll see what Joe Callahan can do. I'm excited to see what Joe Callahan can do. Okay. Interestingly enough, his name is Joe. He's from a school in Delaware. He's from South Jersey, just like the other Joe we've had for years. Um, but Joe Callahan, I want to see what he can do with the preseason. Maybe he's worthy of a practice squad position. Now, a lot of people were talking about getting Kaepernick for this position. Now, I'm not talking about politics or anything. I'm never going to go into politics on this show. That's just not what I'm going to do. But when we talk about Kaepernick, okay, I was arguing on Twitter with some people today about this. He doesn't serve a purpose for the Ravens. The Ravens don't need to bring in if, if RG3 is supposedly going to be back, hopefully by week one, bringing Kaepernick to be a camp arm doesn't make a lot of sense because they want to find a guy who could potentially make the practice squad. Kaepernick is ineligible for a practice squad. He would never even go on a practice squad to begin with. So if you really thought... I mean, look, I get it. If you, if you thought Kaepernick was the best quarterback on the market, he might be the best quarterback on the market. Granted, he hasn't played in two years. He might be the best quarterback on the market. But at the same time, you got to find a guy that makes sense when you're building a roster. And Kaepernick honestly didn't make sense for the Ravens building this roster because he's not going to be a camp arm and you can't sign him to a practice squad. So why are you going to try out Kaepernick? If RG3 was hurt the whole year and you want to talk maybe bringing Kaepernick, that's a completely different story. And again, we're not talking about politics. We're leaving that completely out. If you're talking on a pure football standpoint, if, you, if, 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 if RG3 tore his ACL tomorrow, which God forbid he doesn't ever do, then Kaepernick might make more sense. But right now, obviously it doesn't. And, and don't really... I don't really want to hear it about Kaepernick and, and maybe being blacklisted. And this is not an instance of him being... Maybe he is blacklisted, maybe he isn't. I'm not going to argue that point. I'm going to argue this point, though. The Ravens are not blacklisting him by getting Joe Callahan because it's a completely different purpose for a quarterback. Completely different. So, we'll see what happens with RG3 um, and whether or not he will be back by week one. That's a developing story we'll keep looking at. Now... Uh, we will talk a little bit about him at the training camp observations because he was actually at training camp in uniform, just not practicing. But I do want to talk about him once we get to there. Um, other injuries, I think it's it's, it's 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 interesting to note, it's important to note, Alex Lewis played left guard last year for, I think, the majority of the year. 
he's on the pup list, was placed on the pup list, I believe it was on Friday. Um, that's not good. I don't know the timetable on his return, but I don't think he'll be back by week one. My, my, my estimate. Alex Lewis has been injured basically every year he's been playing. His rookie year, there was some freak in. I mean, I probably should have written this all down, but there was a freak injury. I remember covering it. I believe it was either his rookie year or his second year where he's out the entire year. Played decently last year, but not great at left guard. Then he got injured again. Now he's injured again. He faces being cut by the Ravens just because of the injury. We're not talking about Alex Lewis as a player here. We're talking about his injury problem and the Ravens cannot rely on a player and look Alex Lewis I like Alex Lewis a lot I like a lot of things he brings to the table I think he's a decent guard I think he could develop into a good guard but with all these injuries you've got to imagine you know he is really really on the spot this year and you've got Jermaine Illuminor who who you know strangely enough is looking decent for once I mean no offense to Jermaine Illuminor but I mean, the first two, three years, what was it? What was he drafted? 2017? The first two years of his NFL career were, were not very good. They were not good at all. They, he looked pretty bad when he got on the field. He looked very bad on the field. Lots of, lots of blown, blown uh, blocking assignments. It was like Swiss cheese out there. So when you talk about Alex Lewis, we now have to take into the situation around him. We have to take that into account because Alex Lewis is now in grave grave straights with the Baltimore Ravens very well could lose his, his his roster position as a whole let alone a starting gig his roster position is in big big jeopardy heading into this season he's got to get his injury problem straightened out and you feel bad for the guy honestly there's not really much he can actually do to prevent these injuries right I mean it just happens stuff happens in the NFL but you really really feel bad about this uh, for Alex Lewis but um, in other news, the Ravens actually did part ways with the player already. Um, they cut wide receiver Quincy Adeboyejo. You'll remember Adeboyejo constantly from Ravens Twitter, if you're on Twitter, telling you that Quincy Adeboyejo had what it took to finally, you know, bring a receiver from Baltimore into Baltimore that can actually do something. A homegrown receiver. Maybe it was going to be Quincy Adeboyejo. Even though he was undrafted, the talent was, I mean, honestly, the talent was there. The measurables were there. I mean, he was 2017, I think, was his rookie campaign. That was an interesting offseason with Quincy Adeboyejo. He made a lot of plays in the in training camp, the preseason, but then he got hurt. Didn't run as fast as he did. You know, just wasn't the same player. I mean, he actually played one game for the Ravens, I believe. Uh, 2017, the last week, it was the game they lost against the Bengals, the fourth and forgettable. Um, you know. He didn't do anything, and 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 Quincy Adeboyejo really never moved up. He kept getting injured. I think he had a knee injury 2017, 2018. I forget what the injury was, but he got injured again in the offseason. He never really moved up the ladder, and, and a lot of people were disappointed by that because the talent was obviously there. He was one of those guys with Tim White in 2017, Jalen Hill, another 2017 training camp hero. None of them really panned out. And it was really, really sad because you just love these kind of stories, undrafted players really you know, doing very well. Uh, in the NFL. never happened for Quincy Adeboyejo, never happened for Tim White, at least yet. And it never happened for Jalen Hill either, who I think they already released earlier this, this year. So they waived Quincy Adeboyejo. They used the roster spot to sign Isaiah Williams, a guard. Um, so he'll basically be filling in for where Alex Lewis is in training camp. I don't think Isaiah Williams um, is going to have any real shot of making this roster, in all honesty. 
I think, you know, maybe a practice squad position, but I don't think he's going to make this roster. You've got guys like RJ Prince in there also competing. I don't think there's going to be a lot of offensive line uh, switcheroos um, at the end of training camp when we, we, we decide our final roster. I don't think so. Uh, I could be wrong. Maybe I am, but we'll see. Um, and finally, last piece of news. It's not really the biggest piece of news. If you've been following any Ravens news, you pretty much know this already. Uh, but Marquise Brown should return soon. He's been running. I mean, I literally saw him running at training camp yesterday, running on the sidelines. He was literally in uniform. At some one point, he was even watching the drills with the wide receivers, talking to people on the sideline. Um, he looks ready to go. Honestly, you know, I don't know what exactly the medical situation is around him. I know it's a lane strength foot injury. Where he is on the progression, you know, healing from that injury, I have absolutely no clue. You know, I don't have any information as doctors have. I wouldn't even know how to process that information. Um, but Marquise Brown looks, I mean, he's running, and he's he ran pretty fast. I don't think there's anything wrong with his speed. He ran pretty darn fast. Now, I, Marquise Brown, I, I really think, you know, this is going on a gut feeling. I'm not going off of what the Ravens are saying. I, I don't really tend to follow what the Ravens say on timetables a lot because it's always, I mean, a lot of the times they're wrong. Joe Flacco is supposed to be like a week and remember that Joe Flacco will be back for the Bengals game. Joe Flacco didn't return until four, four or five weeks later. You know, oh, Brashad Perryman will be back by the beginning of training camp. Was out the entire year. So sometimes you have to take a grain of salt with everything the Ravens say because they're not trying to give an advantage to anybody who they're facing. They always want to keep the opponent not really sure of what's going on. But, you know, they keep saying Marquise Brown is going is gonna to come back. I, I wholeheartedly believe him on this just based on what I saw when I looked at Marquise Brown on the sideline, and I was watching him throughout practice, I kept looking to find where Marquise Brown was. When I first spotted him, he was over... See, if you know what the castle looks like in the facility around the castle, there's a few practice fields. On the other side of the castle itself, that's where I was with a bunch of fans. And other media personnel were up there, but I wasn't with the media, I was with the fans. I don't have a press pass. Um, so the castle's all, all the way on the other side of the fields. It's like three fields or whatever. You could just see Marquise Brown speeding by the field on the far side near the castle, the, the, the facility itself, where all the offices are, going back and forth, running. And he looked fast. I mean, I don't think he lost any bit of speed. In all honesty, I don't think he may have gotten faster. Who knows? I don't think he lost any speed. He was just that good, that fast yesterday. I was very impressed with what I saw. And then he came over. Watch the drills, didn't participate in any drills, watched the drills, was lively, talking to the other players on the sideline. Um, so I think I, my gut instinct is he's close to returning. That's my really gut instinct. Um, so, I mean, that's not as much news as it is training camp observation at this point. So we're going to head right back into training camp observations because we don't have any other news to talk about. Um, next week, of course, we, we obviously will. We're going to try to get it back for Friday. Um the night of, actually, the, the first preseason game, the Hall of Fame game between the Falcons and Joe Flacco's Broncos. So we'll talk about that, of course, uh, as we return to football. But training camp observations for this past week, for Sunday specifically, because that's the day I was there. Um, let me know if you were have gone to any training camp practices as well. Maybe you were there on Sunday, too. I don't know. Uh, but Sunday was interesting because, of course, the night before RG3's freak incident on the helmet of Timmy Williams... Uh, but RG3 didn't take a step back. He did not pass, okay? I, he did not pass, first of all. But, but, there's always a but. RG3 was on the field, in uniform, running around, 
And like in between every play. I mean, at one point I saw him running from sideline to sideline, almost doing, uh, what are those called? Like those basketball drills where you run and you touch the ground and you run back. He's basically doing that. Um, but every time a quarterback took a snap, five yards behind the quarterback, there's RG3, shadowing the exact moves of Lamar Jackson of Trace McSorley over and over and over and over again. I don't think he stopped shadowing all day long. I mean, the dude, I even saw him throw at one point left-handed. Not, not, not in a drill, but he was throwing with the coach left-handed. I mean, this dude does not want to give up. I will give him a ton of credit for that. He is never going to give up. He just keeps going at it, regardless of what's come to him. He just keeps going. That's why I love RG3 so much. So, was not actually officially practicing. I don't, I don't actually know what the Ravens would have called it. But he was in uniform. He had like a hoodie on underneath. He had like a hood coming out. And it was like 93 degrees out. So I don't know what he was thinking. But, I mean, he was just going all day. So props off to RG3. Um, then if you've got Trace McSorley. Now, Trace McSorley completely underwhelmed. I was coming in really hyped to see what Trace McSorley could do. Because, first of all, I thought Trace, McSor- Trace McSorley was a great prospect coming out of college, right? Phenomenal athlete. Not the greatest quarterback in the world. But I thought... He had some some great aspects of him. He's mobile. First of all, he fits in this offense because he's mobile. He could he had a cannon. A little reckless, a little like Favre. He would just shoot it everywhere, but he had a cannon. Okay? And he still got it. But what he did in Ravens practice was underwhelmed tremendously. I think I saw more incompletions from Trace McSorley than actual completions. I think it was that bad. Now, obviously, it's like, what, the third, fourth training camp practice? And he's a rookie, and there's all these different things he's got to deal with right now. Lamar Jackson sucked in training camp. When I looked at him last year, I mean, it was bad last year. I mean, it wasn't, like, the worst performance I've ever seen from a quarterback, but it was not good, to say the least. And look how he progressed. Like, obviously, I think Lamar Jackson has a lot to do this offseason. I think he's done a lot of it. We'll talk about him. Um, When you look at last year, though, if you look at... The first preseason game, the Hall of Fame game, <laughs> against the Bears, where he looked like a deer in headlights. He, I mean, you hear the joke all the time, oh, Lamar Jackson's a running back, a quarterback. I mean, he literally looked like a running back, a quarterback, in the Hall of Fame game last year. Versus, I mean, not the L.A. Chargers game, because that was terrible. But maybe, like, the, 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 other, the first L.A. Chargers game, not the playoff game, the one in L.A., and the Cleveland Browns game, week 16, week 17. Not the best passer in the world, but if you compare it to the preseason, and even the, 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 the Hall of Fame game to week three of the preseason, if you just take that sample size, you compare it to the last couple games of the regular season. Night and day difference. So I'm not super concerned with Trace McSorley's long-term development, uh, but he, he really did underwhelm. I thought he would be a little bit farther along. Now, what's interesting about McSorley is I actually saw him take part on punt return um, drills. Now, the Ravens were not actually having anybody punt. It was actually uh, Corey Vedvik. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Corey Vedvik, something like that. Um, the Norwegian punter from last year, you'll remember, um, basically was going to make another roster, was going to get cut, make another roster somewhere else. He was that good. Ended up getting beat up in the streets of Baltimore. I don't know how exactly that happened. It's what happened. He ended up in the ER, I, re- I remember. Um, needless to say, he didn't end up anywhere. The Ravens put him on reserves so they could keep him around. He could try it again next year. So he's basically trying to prove teams he's, he's still 
a capable punter and could make a team somewhere. Um, he was the punter in these drills. He didn't actually punt, but you would see Trace McSorley with this, um, I think it was a, it was blue. You'll see these in practice sometimes, these caps they put over top of helmets to signify something, whatever it is. He was on punt return drills. Not as the punt returner, but um, looked like a punt blocker. So the Ravens are obviously trying McSorley out in all these 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 interesting um, ways. They think that he's going to be a special teams presence. They think he could be a defensive presence. Um, they think he could be an offensive presence, not just as a quarterback, but maybe as a wide receiver substitute here and there. They want him to be Taysom Hill. Okay? And I think it's a fantastic... If you can have a Taysom Hill on your roster, whew, it's a fantastic um, way to do it. And plus it relieves Lamar Jackson, too. Right, if Lamar gets tired, if he gets a little banged up in a game, you put Trace McSorley in, and no one has any idea what's going on at that point. Because, you know, the way you look at it, McSorley can continue in offense and maybe do a little bit, Not, I won't say more than Lamar Jackson, he can do things a little differently than Lamar Jackson, right? When you had the two-quarterback dynamic last year with Flacco and Jackson, I mean, defense is new. When you, put, when you took Flacco out of the game and you put Lamar Jackson... That you weren't going to pass it because you're not putting, you're not taking out Joe Flacco, who, in my opinion, was and probably is still a better passer than than Lamar Jackson. But Lamar Jackson had that electricity around him, right, as a runner. But it didn't work when you kept putting in this wildcat formation because defenses knew it was coming. They would just load the box and, and and just basically stop Lamar Jackson. When you had Lamar Jackson as a starting quarterback, they had to actually take him seriously because he would actually throw the ball. So, but if you have if you have Trace McSorley who develops at a consistent rate throughout the preseason, which we'll watch. You can have Trace McSorley be a reliever, be a Wildcat quarterback, do all these Taysom Hill-like things for the Ravens. But it might work better than New Orleans because New Orleans is in a situation where they had a Flacco and a Lamar Jackson. Basically, Drew Brees would be the Flacco, Taysom Hill the Lamar Jackson. Now you're basically having two Lamar Jackson-type players in one system. Right? And you're never going to put RG3 as a gimmick player because you need RG3 to be the backup, not to the guy to get hit. So, um, again, not a great day for Trace McSorley. A lot of bad balls, a lot of bad decisions. But I think that he's on the right track. I think the Ravens are going to try to make him a Taysom Hill type player. Everybody's been saying that. It's true. I literally saw it yesterday as they put him on the punt return team. No quarterbacks play on punt returns except guys who are going to be Swiss Army Knives like Taysom Hill. So we're seeing a revolution in ways that some of these backup quarterbacks, some of these guys are going to come into the NFL. Because I guarantee you, if the Ravens have success with it this year with Trace McSorley, there'll be two, three, four more teams trying to do that next year. So everybody, everybody is going to be adopting this Saints point of view. As long as it goes well with at least the Ravens here. Um... But when you look at the offense overall, another thing I saw yesterday was a lot, a lot of offensive penalties. And everybody who was at that practice yesterday was talking about, on Twitter, the offensive penalties, the false starts over and over and over and over. And it looks sloppy. Now, Marshall Yonda wasn't actually out there. I think it was a vet day off. I never got clarification on that. Maybe someone could, in the comments, let me know um, if it was a vet day off. I believe it was. Maybe that had something to do with it. You know, the veteran presence is off the line right now. He's not there. So guys, you know, doing all sorts of things out there, not exactly knowing what to do. Lots of false. I mean, it was ridiculous. Delay of games, too, especially when McSorley was in. There was, there was a few delay of games with McSorley 
that was kind of dumb. That was just D-U-M-B, capital D-U-M-B, dumb plays. McSorley had in there. Um, but a lot of false starts, too. And it was like the whistle was blowing, whistle was blowing. You just expected it. Every five minutes or so, you get a false start. It's just what happened. I don't know. I wasn't close enough. I wasn't at a good angle enough um, to see exactly which offensive lineman every time was doing it. Right? Because I was kind of eye level with everything. So, and, and you got all the players standing on the sideline and the, and the people standing in front of you. It's kind of difficult to see sometimes um, with everybody. You know, individual offensive linemen, you're trying to look at everybody on the field. So I didn't always see who it was. I don't think I actually ever saw who it was. But there were a lot of delays of game. There was a lot of false starts, and it was not good. It's not something we want to see from this Ravens offense. Because even if these are third-teamers, backups, whatever, you're only as good as your 53rd man on the roster. You can't have a guy come into a situation not ready to go. You can't have the backup left guard or whoever come into a critical situation, 4th and 10 or whatever, in Week 17 this year against the Steelers, you know, playoff uh, playoff win on the line and go false start, right? Cuz it could ha- it definitely could happen. I guarantee you a team this year will be knocked out of the playoffs in part because of something a backup player did. I guarantee it. An injury, something's going to happen. You have to have guys that can come in here and produce consistently and make no stupid mistakes. I mean, sure, you can make mistakes. You can miss a blocking assignment. You can, you can, you can, you can fail to tackle a guy. But when you go in and you make dumb mistakes, D-U-M-B, capital D-U-M-B mistakes, jumping off sides, delay of game, false start, whatever it may be, stupid mistakes that don't happen if you're paying attention, if you're practiced and you're, you're focused enough, then you should be okay, right? It's the stupid mistakes that kill teams. It always is the stupid mistakes that kill teams. You see it all the time. So, you know, I'm much more happy if a, if a backup player misses an assignment or two than if he's constantly jumping false start, if he's constantly jumping off sides, if he, if he makes a delay of game in the case of McSorley. So, I'm not going to say it's, it's doomsday or anything because, it's again, it's yeah, I went to an earlier, early practice of the year. I wanted to get my early impressions so I could base that on the preseason and watch them progress. Not, you know, get a late practice and be like, oh, well, this guy's already been good, and so it makes sense he's good, right? I want to tell you now what I think is who's good, who's not, you know, who's underperforming, who's overperforming, so you can watch them in the preseason. So offensive lines can be something to watch, whether or not they can actually get it together and move on and, and not have all these, these penalties, all these stupid mistakes. We can't have that on this offensive line. Um, but moving on to maybe some brighter news in this training camp. We've heard a lot about two specific receivers on the cusp of making this roster. Jaleel Scott, number one, and Antoine Wesley, the undrafted rookie, I believe out of Texas Tech. I really should have put that down somewhere. I'm off the game today. Someone correct me if I'm wrong in the comments there. But these two, the wide receivers, have been making plays all training camp. And granted, training camp's been, what, four or five days? But still, every day it seems like these two guys have been making um, plays. And there is a receiver in here who we're going to talk about again later um, that that they drafted that's been making plays too. You probably already know based, based on what I just said who it is. Um, but we'll talk about it in a second because it's, it's a little counter of what, what I, I think is going on with him. Um, Antoine Wesley, 
Jaleel Scott. First of all, Antoine Wesley. The dude is tall. I mean, this dude had legs. He looked like like a like a antelope, like a deer out there. I mean, I don't know what his. Let me look up his height because, um, he he, he when you looked at him, this dude looked taller than most receivers out there. And he's only six three apparently. The dude's only six six three six four. According to ESPN, he's six four. There's other websites that's six three. We'll go with six four. I mean, his legs were probably to like the the torso of some of these other wide receivers. I mean, this dude has long legs, and you know what that means? You can extend them. You can do a lot of things with these long legs. Um, I mean, it, it he was. It's just it's difficult for me to express how like asymmetrical he looked. I mean, maybe it's just the way he was wearing the uniform, but his legs looked longer than his entire upper body. And that should be pretty interesting because I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I know in theory what that means is, you know, he can, in theory, move faster. He could be more nimble, maybe make better sideline catches, control. He should have a little bit better control maybe, or maybe less because he's got a little less mass down there on the legs versus if he had a lower torso, whatever. But he should be a lot more nimble. Now, we didn't really see a lot of nimble plays, but we saw great catches by him, good routes. He beat coverages. Um, I believe it was him I saw beat uh, Kennedy. Couldn't get out of Marlon Humphrey all day. Uh, we'll talk about Marlon Humphrey again. Um, but, I mean, he had great plays down the field from Lamar Jackson. Bombs. Lamar Jackson was throwing bombs um, to Antoine Wesley. Julio Scott, a little different. Julio Scott, another tall receiver. But he looked a little bulkier than Antoine Wesley. And you'll probably see this in the preseason games. But Jaleel Scott made a lot of plays in the red zone. And there was one specific play. I was standing near the sideline, right? I, it was, I was basically near the corner of the end zone. Okay, not exactly in, not in the end zone, obviously. Not to the corner of the end zone. Maybe around the 10-yard line, but that corner, right? And this because the, 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 the uh, offense was running receiver drills. With the quarterbacks in this area, so I want to see Lamar and Trace McSorley, some of these receivers that's been taught, they've been talked about. I spent a lot of time looking at the offense more than defense, mainly because the defense was on the other field for like half the practice, so they weren't actually close to where I was standing. But I did want to see a lot of these receivers because I thought that was the most intriguing um, aspect of this training camp. And this, I just this one specific play, I really wish I could have had phones out. The Ravens, no phones allowed, basically, unless you're a sanctioned media member, then you get. Restricted phone practice, phone privileges in camp. You could take like a picture, but you have to get it cleared or whatever. Anyway, I wish I had my phone out. I wish I was recording this because I mean it was like it was like the ball was coming towards me. Like if you picture yourself standing like on the sideline near a ten yard line, and Lamar Jackson's maybe the thirty yard line, and he just like looks basically right at you and just throws the ball up. That's what happened. And you see Jaleel Scott come in right. And just basically toe tap the sideline and catch the ball. I was so impressed by this one. It was a very good throw, but this one back shoulder throw that Jaleel Scott just like hauled in right over the top. I don't remember who was covering him, um, but it was it was good coverage. But this catch, it, I I just remember exactly. It was only a day ago, but it's so clear in my head the way he caught this ball. It was like. 
Anquan Bolden-esque. It was ridiculous. And I'm thinking to myself, where was this guy last training camp? Where was this Jaleel Scott last training camp? We could have used him last year. What happened? Beats me. I don't know if he's been eating his uh, Wheaties or something. I have no idea. But Jaleel Scott looked phenomenal. That one play alone, I think, is, is probably the highlight of the day for him. So these two receivers, um, Antoine Wesley, Jaleel Scott, are both making a run for this roster. But, you know, how many of them can make the roster? Because you've got, you've got in my opinion, four locks. Willie Sneed obviously is a lock. That dude's not going anywhere. That was the best receiver we had last year. Marquise Brown, you're not cutting your first round. That'd be beyond stupid. Um, Miles Boykin, who I'm going to talk about right after I list these guys. And I believe Chris Moore is a lock. I believe it. I saw that Adam B. Moore of Russell Street Report, I didn't read the article yet, but he put out some sort of article basically saying that Chris Moore wasn't a lock for this roster. Um, and I can see his point because Chris Moore... Every darn year, it's Chris Moore is going to have a fantastic year. It's been This is the third year I think I've said Chris Moore is going to have a great year. And I'm tired of saying it. If Chris Moore doesn't ball out this year, he's got to go. Right? Look, I like Chris Moore. I think he's a good dude. But if Chris Moore doesn't actually progress to the point where I think he can be based on his physical attributes and his skill level, then he's wasting our time. Because I'm tired of waiting for Chris Moore to break out. He's got to do it this year. This is it. This has got to be it. So, it is possible Chris Moore could be cut. It's completely possible. I could, I could see it. But I think right now, based on what we know, he is still more than likely a lock. You've got, now, Jaleel Scott, uh, Antoine Wesley, Jordan Lasley in there, fighting for a roster spot. Um, you know, um, I think that's really the only guys fighting for a roster spot at this point. Um, there are some other receivers, none that super impressed me. Oh, Sean Modster yesterday had some good good catches. Jalen Smith, I think, will be more of a practice squad candidate. He had some good plays. I, I will give him that. He had some good plays in there. Joe Horn Jr., although he has impressed some people too. So, but really, the two contenders for this, the two like real contenders for this bottom spot, these bottom two spots are Jaleel Scott and Jordan Lasley. I'm not. I'm sorry, not Jordan Lasley. Jaleel Scott and Antoine Wesley. Jordan Lasley had a bad day yesterday. In all honesty, he had a bad day. A few drop passes here and there. He just he didn't look like the Jordan Lasley we saw last year. And the Jordan Lasley last year wasn't great. But he was good enough to make the roster and maybe get it on place. He never got activated. But he was like good enough to be on that roster. He didn't look good yesterday. He just didn't. He didn't when you compare him to Julio Scott, Antoine Wesley. Even Sean Monster and Jalen Smith yesterday, I think, had a better day. Now, granted, I was there for one day. I can't go to every training camp practice if I wanted to. I'm too far away. But he didn't have a great day, and I think that's a problem because he's got to he's got to work on retaining this roster spot. It's possibly IR stash him or something. But when you talk about long term, Willie Smith, Willie Smith, uh, Willie Sneed is young. He's only in his twenties, I think. Maybe late 20s, I don't know. Chris Moore, if he has a good year, could stay around. I mean, none of these receivers. This is probably the first year in a long time where the Ravens actually have receivers that should be in their prime or right before their prime, like in Boykin and in Marquise Brown. I don't know if there's a receiver, aside from Michael Floyd, I don't know if there's a receiver over 30 on this roster. I don't think so. This is like the first time ever that the Ravens have a, a young receiver core. So, if you don't make the roster this year, 
it's not like the Ravens are going to be like, oh, Michael Crabtree, you're gone, or oh, Anquan Bolden, you're gone, or oh, Steve Smith Sr. is retiring, Mike Wallace is gone, yeah, 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 all these old receivers. Although, Anquan Bolden should never have left, never been traded, that's that's another story. Um, I don't know if Jordan Ladsley could make this roster if he was IR stashed or practice squad stashed next year. So, I mean, it's really a fight this year. When you think about it, because the long-term... Even Seth Roberts has a shot at making this roster. Um, when you think about the long-term aspect of this Ravens receiver core, it's all young players. So if they get in here and they dig themselves in, it's going to be very difficult for anybody to come in and usurp one of these guys. If they're all playing well, how are you going to take their position? It's not like, you know, anybody here is on a major contract. You know, none of these guys are being paid ridiculous amounts of money. The highest paid is, is probably Willie, Willie Sneed. I don't know for a fact. Although Marquise Brown's making a pretty penny with his guaranteed, basically $11 million guaranteed over four years. But, you know, none of these guys are being overpaid. None of them are old. I mean, it, it's just going to be interesting to watch because it's really going to be a bloodbath. This I'm, I'm telling you right now. If you're not going to watch the preseason, you're going to miss a lot because this receiver core, there is stiff competition coming in for these last two two spots, maybe even three, but two spots definitely. There is stiff competition. It's going to be a bloodbath. There's a lot of guys fighting for this and a lot of impressive players. I thought for sure I wasn't going to be impressed by Jalen Smith or Sean Monster. Even even Seth uh, Roberts had a couple good good catches yesterday. There's a lot of guys on this team fighting for this this wide receiver roster. It's great for the Ravens that they have all these options, but but for some of these guys, they're going to be left in the dust. I'm telling you right now, there are going to be guys on here who are going to be picked up by another team, at least for a practice squad somewhere, because it doesn't make sense for the way some of their... If, if, they, if they play the same way in the preseason as training camp, it wouldn't make sense for them not to be picked up. So we'll see how that works. Now, Miles Boykin, though, a lot of people have been interested in what he's been able to do. This training camp, report after report after report after report on Miles Boykin, has been telling us Miles Boykin is the real deal. This dude is tall, he's fast, he can block, he can catch. He is the do-it-all on this this offense. Um, Willie Sneed yesterday in the press conference compared him to Michael Thomas. Michael Tom- yeah, That Michael Thomas of the New Orleans Saints. He compared him to Michael Thomas. So... Needless to say, this dude's got a lot of hype around him. And maybe, maybe, maybe this is finally the Ravens receiver that they draft that develops into a very good one. No disrespect to Torrey Smith. Torrey Smith had a great career here in Baltimore, but he wasn't an ever an all-pro receiver or anything like that. Maybe Miles Boykin can be that guy. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to put that on him as a third-round pick that he's going to be an all-pro receiver this year. But long-term development, he could be the guy. But there's always a but. Yesterday, I saw nothing out of Miles Boykin. I was very disappointed. I was like, all right, hype train, Miles Boykin. But maybe I wasn't paying attention enough to him because I did, you know, I, I watched a lot of the receivers, but I did go to other, I didn't want to just watch receivers. I went to other areas. I watched the offensive line for like the first 20 minutes of practice. Those dudes are huge. Orlando Brown, not to get off on a tangent, Orlando Brown is bigger than Ronnie Stanley. Did you know that? Ronnie Stanley looks slim compared to Orlando Brown. And Orlando Brown was going up against James Hurst in these practice drills where they basically push on their chest. The, the, the mock defenders are holding up this like cushion and they just like push as hard as they can. When you, when you watched Orlando Brown hit James Hurst, 
you just heard James Hurst go, oh, like every single time. And no one else was like, you know, making any noise. But James Hurst, every single time he got hit by Orlando Brown, oh, like you just, and he just pushed back. You just, you felt the presence of Orlando Brown Jr., Zeus Jr., just dominating James Hurst. And James Hurst, I think, a lot of people don't like James Hurst. I like James Hurst. I think he's a versatile offensive lineman that's good enough for a lot of positions. Dude couldn't handle Orlando Brown Jr. Anyway, not to get off on a tangent there, but Miles Boykin, I didn't see enough of him. Didn't see a lot of plays from him. Didn't see a lot of connections. I don't even know if I saw him catch the, the ball once. Just wasn't his day. Then again today, I hear he catches like, what, three or four touchdowns? Unless I'm thinking of somebody else. Maybe that was Mark Andrews. But he was supposed to have a fantastic day today. So I think I just got there the wrong day for him. Oh, well. Four out of five days, whatever. Pretty good rate for the third round rookie out of Notre Dame. The Fighting Irish always get good draft prospects into the league. Ronnie Stanley's one of them. Great left tackle. Um, We'll see how he develops. But a lot of hype is around Miles Boykin right now. Now, a draft pick that didn't have a good day at all is going to be Justice Hill. Justice Hill. I'm very hyped for Justice Hill. I think the the vertical, um, not vertical, end-to-end rusher, basically east-west rusher he is, super speedy guy, I think adds a whole new dimension to this offense. You could do some weird T formations with him. Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, even Kenneth Dixon could get in there if you want to carry four backs. Um, And you could do a lot of things, you know, triple options, triple option RPO at this point, right? I mean, with the speed, the speed you have on the outside with Lamar Jackson, with Justice Hill, the downfield running you have with Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, the receivers, the big body receivers, Hayden Hurst, Mark Andrews, you know, these guys that can catch over the middle, you could do an RPO, look over the middle, if it's not there, either hand it off to, to Gus, or run outside with the option to, to toss it to, to Justice Hill. I mean, there's a lot you can do with this at this point. But Justin Hill had, Justice Hill had a bad day. Plain and simple. Had a very bad day. Just not his day. Um, dropped the ball a couple times. Fumbled. Um, didn't never seem to really break out into anything. In the running drills. Mainly the fumbles to me and the drops. You know, and the passes. And then I think a ball was batted out of his hand. Wasn't carrying it well. Obviously was not carrying it well when I looked at him. I mean, come on, dude. You know, everybody listening to this knows John Harbaugh cannot handle people that fumble. I'm surprised he let let Lamar Jackson keep going when he kept fumbling last year. I'm surprised he didn't take him off for a few drives for RG3 because knowing John Harbaugh, if you fumble the ball, you're getting put in the doghouse no matter what. I think even Willie Sneed at one point was in the doghouse for fumbling the football last year. And Willie Sneed is like, you know... He's, he's the best receiver with Lamar Jackson, hands down. Willie Sneed was amazing last year, and I think he fumbled a couple times in a game or something, or maybe like, you know, twice in a couple weeks, and, and Harbaugh was like, nope, doghouse for you for a little bit. So you know that Justice Hill has been talked to by somebody about these fumble problems, because he had them bad yesterday. He had the dropsies yesterday, that's for certain. Did not look very good. Uh, but what's interesting, the other running back I want to touch, Mark Ingram, he looks pretty darn good. For his age, I mean, he's not super old. Was he 29, 30-something at this this point? He looks shifty, which is interesting because I saw a PFF graphic weeks ago. When you look at that Gus Edwards compared to Mark Ingram, Mark Ingram 
is a downfield rider. So is Gus Edwards. But Gus Edwards goes through the guard and the center. Mark Ingram goes outside towards the tackles. Almost always between the guard and the tackle. That's Mark Ingram's specialty. So maybe I should have, like, you know, actually seen him coming. Seen it coming that he was going to be shifty. Um, but I didn't. And I saw him. There was this one drill they did with the running backs where they had, like, a running back pretend to be a defensive end or something or some sort of rusher to the quarterback and try to get around the other running backs when Mark Ingram went up to do it. I mean, he was so quick on his feet getting from side to side. Basically, you know, and they kept tapping him. Kept tapping him over and over and over again. I mean, I was amazed. I, I was like, look how shifty Mark Ingram is. I've, I did not expect that. I was very impressed with Mark Ingram. I wasn't so impressed with Kenneth Dixon. I think Kenneth Dixon will get cut this offseason based on the injuries alone. But he didn't really do anything yesterday. Nothing good, nothing bad. He just didn't stick out. That's really what happened with Kenneth Dixon yesterday. I mentioned Marlon Humphrey earlier. Had a great day. I don't like the 44 on him. I like the 29. Earl Thomas took the 29, had a, had a bat down of one of Lamar Jackson's passes, should have been picked off, but I don't think it was really, you know, trying that hard. It was just, you know, oh, I'm in practice. I'm not going to pick it off today. I'm just going to bat it to the ground. It was a terrible throw by Lamar. It was probably the only bad throw I saw him throw all day. It was a bad read, and he, he, he threw left when the receiver ran right, so I think it was a miscommunication, but um, it was the only bad throw I saw him throw, in all honesty. It was a great performance by Lamar Jackson. He had a great day yesterday. You know, he, he's progressed a lot since last year. Hands down. Keep progressing. He's going to be good. Um, but Marlon Humphrey, regardless of whether the 44 looks good or not, I don't think it looks good. I liked him in 29 a lot. Whatever. He's 44 now. He looks very solid. I don't know if... I think he let up one pass I saw. And granted, I didn't watch Marlon Humphrey all day. But he let up one pass. And I really didn't see him do, do bad at any point afterwards. Um, it was just a good day for him. I can't wait to see him play this year. I think he's going to be considered the best cornerback in the league by the end of the year, or at least a top three, top five cornerback, because he's already the best young quarterback. Cornerback, not quarterback. He's the best young cornerback in the league, best developing corner. Hands down. Um, some people will argue Marshawn Lattimore is. It's Marlon Humphrey, and you know it. Um, he had a great day. Um, someone who I think, finally here, I don't think we're going to talk about anybody else, Someone who I think had a good day, um, somewhat surprisingly, actually, was Alvin Jones. If you'll remember, Alvin Jones, was he a rookie last year? I think he was a rookie last year. Inside linebacker. Very good day. Got in there, was disruptive. I mean, not like, you know, C.J. Mosley in there, but he looked good. He had a few plays, and I was like, Alvin Jones, he's still with us? He's making plays? Um, so kudos to him for really fighting hard yesterday doing a lot. Um, I heard a lot about Chris Board too. I didn't see him much yesterday. But Chris Board supposedly is making a run for the starting linebacker position. So, take that with what for what you will. I don't know if he will or not, but some people are arguing he's going to be. We'll have to really watch the preseason games because when it all comes down to it, training camp is one thing. In-game situations against real opponents is a complete different animal. We could see a complete reversal of everything we know this preseason. We could see Miles Boykin suck it up in the preseason, be completely like garbage out there. And no, no offense. I mean, this is hypothetical. He could be complete garbage. He could drop every pass that comes to him, right? Jordan Lasley could be the the league MVP of the preseason. I mean, we just don't know. We won't know until the Ravens play their first preseason game. 
um, and the Ravens preseason game, the first one, is against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, I believe it's in Baltimore. Yes, it's in Baltimore, August 8th, 7.30 p.m. All the preseason games this year are actually on Thursday nights, which is really nice. Um, so I will be heading to one preseason game this year. I'll be heading to the one in Philly against the Eagles, so I'll be able to give live updates from the stadium on that one, but for the rest of them, I will be watching on TV, and of course, I will do my film breakdowns on BaltimoreFeather.com, as I always do. I'm debating whether or not I should do a video breakdown on this film or not, too. I think that would be interesting. I'm just not exactly sure how I would do it and what format I would go with, um, but I, I love to... I'm so excited for the preseason because, I mean, yes, it's the preseason. The average NFL fan just doesn't care, but when you're, like, trying to figure out What's going to happen this upcoming year? Who's going to be the impact players? Who's going to make this roster? The preseason is fun to watch because it's a completely different storyline every week. I mean, you got guys that become nothing to heroes, and every year it seems like there's an undrafted free agent that, that explodes onto the scene. Last year, you saw it with Philip Lindsay of the Denver Broncos, pro bowler. I Then you had Darius Leonard, um... Of, of the uh, Indianapolis Colts. I don't know if he was undrafted or not, but uh, nobody expected him to, to pull off what he did last year. Not a single person. I guarantee you, you go back to this time last year, not a single person is telling you Philip Lindsay's going to be a pro bowler and Darius Leonard is going to be a pro bowler. Not a single person is going to see that. He was selected in the second round. Okay, sele- second round selection, Darius Leonard. But still, no one saw it coming. Not a single... I don't think anybody saw it coming. At least, you know, people who don't follow the Colts or Broncos, like, religiously with, like, you know, extreme magnifying glasses that knows everything about them. But anyway, not to keep divvying off topic, as I've done all episode, but the preseason is super exciting to me because we see all these storylines develop. We need to know who is going to make the make their roster, who's not going to make their roster, who's going to be in the impact player, who's not going to be the impact player, who's on the rise, who's not on the rise. Um, and you get to see some of the implementations of what your team is going to do. So if you're on the fence about watching the preseason this year, I highly recommend it. And of course, it's football. All football is good football, right? So preseason coming up, first game again against the Jacksonville Jaguars at M&T Bank Stadium this not this upcoming Thursday, next Thursday at August 8th, 7.30 p.m. All games this year are on Thursday nights. So, football will return this week as Joe Flacco and the Denver Broncos take on Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons in the Hall of Fame game. Ed Reed will be enshrined this week to the Hall of Fame. So, or this weekend, I should say. Great stuff all around, and we are very excited to see um, Baltimore Ravens legend, NFL legend, Ed Reed, the best safety to ever play the game, be enshrined, get his gold jacket, so deservingly, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, we all knew he was going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer by the time he retired, so deserving of this, Ed Reed, one of the staples of Baltimore, uh, he and Ray Lewis, defensive brothers, are going to be in that Hall of Fame together now. And now they're just waiting on Terrell Suggs. Whenever Suggs decides to hang it up, five years later, he'll be in there too. The trio will all be in the Hall of Fame one day. Um, and it's really a phenomenal... When you look at the history of this Ravens defense, what they've been able to accomplish in just over 20 years, 
I mean, even less. If you go back, you know, those two Super Bowls, right, that's all in the first, like, 18 years of this team's life. Very amazing. Right? The guys on have been on this team. Jonathan Ogden and Ray Lewis, the first two draft picks of the Baltimore Ravens, both go to the Hall of Fame. You had Ed Reed going to the Hall of Fame. Trail Suggs will go to the Hall of Fame. They've drafted Holodi Nada, borderline Hall of Famer. Um, you've got, I mean, just Peter Bulware, some of these older guys. Chris McAllister was a great cornerback. Now you've got guys, Marlon Humphreys in here, a draftee. And it, that's, you know, we're not even talking about free agents. Like, you know, you even brought in Earl Thomas now. The lineage of this secondary, of, of specifically the free safeties, Ed Reed, Eric Weddle, Earl Thomas. Name one other team in the National Football League with that kind of, 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 of lineage at the safety position, with the kind of history that the Ravens have in this short amount of time. I'm not talking about overall since the beginning of the NFL. In this short amount of time the Ravens have been an NFL team, there has been no other team to produce this kind of success defensively. It's just impossible to believe. When you look at the Cleveland Browns, came back into the league in, what, 99? And they've made one playoff appearance since then? And it's been 20 years for them, and now they're finally on the cusp of actually being good again? It took the Ravens, what, four years to win a Super Bowl? Four. Insane. Just cause It's just a testament to... Um, the, the leadership of this team, the organization, from Art Modell, God rest his soul, to Steve Bishotti, Ozzie Newsome, now to Eric DaCosta, Brian Billick, to John Harbaugh. The consistency of success this team has had has been unreal, and it really stems from the top down, and all the players here are all deserving of being on this team. And of course, we hope to find many more Hall of Famers in the future, many more Pro Bowlers, and we hope to find more Super Bowl wins in the near future as well. So that will be it for episode 37 of Nest Talk. Now that we're back on a weekly basis, I believe our next episode will be on Friday. If that's your change, you could follow us at Nest Talk or at Be More Feather on Twitter for the latest uh, on schedule changes. But shooting for Friday, uh, because that's the night of the first preseason game, we'll maybe do a little preview of that, even though it's not the Ravens. It's football, though. Football is coming back. Everybody stay tuned. Uh, and, of course, we'll talk about the upcoming Hall of Fame ceremony and everything about that. Uh, and any other Ravens news that comes in between then and now. So I hope everybody has a wonderful week. Of course, this is a Monday, so happy Monday to everybody. Uh, but hope everybody has a great work week. Um, and we'll see you all on Friday with the next, next episode of Nest Talk. This is Christopher Linfont of BaltimoreFeather.com signing out. <laughs>